How do you lead people to Christ? It seems like more people seek the truth but are not being led to it. So how do you get that conversation going? We can start sharing in our neighborhoods. I remember one day my neighbor asked me this question. He said, why do smart people not believe in God? Now, I thought to myself, what am I supposed to say to him? I realized, just like Jesus with his disciples, he said in John 16, 12, there are many things I want to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And I realized he wasn't ready to hear the truth yet. So I just said to, uh, to my neighbor, are you talking about yourself? And he smiled. He thought that was funny. But that broke the ice. And so we just need to find normal conversations, break the ice with people, and move in a spiritual direction. Maybe during COVID, uh, you know, we could ask a question like, I'm just curious, how are you coping during these difficult times? Or um, sometimes I ask questions like, do you ever feel like you've been placed here for a purpose? I remember once talking to an atheist on a college campus. And he said, yeah, I feel like I have been placed here for a purpose. And he's a professed atheist. So we just have to learn to ask those thought-provoking questions and help people, uh, Nancy, begin to see there are some distortions that they have that are getting in the way of us cultivating good soil in their lives, as Matthew 13, 23 teaches us. And I have learned over the years in working with college students that there's actually three types of distortions that people have, not just college students, but people in general, distortions about themselves, about God the Father, and about Jesus. And if we can help people to clarify those distortions, we can help create good soil, and in partnership with the Holy Spirit, we can begin to share the gospel and maybe see a lot more fruit, see a lot more people open to wanting to, to hear the gospel. Yeah, but you know, the, the thing is, is that some people are repelled by the conversation about Jesus. And what can we do about that? What I try to find out is what is their religious experience? Like if they're repelled by Jesus, I want to know, did you have some kind of religious experience growing up, okay? Uh, and then secondly, is there something in your life that you think you need, but yet the Bible teaches that that's not the way we're supposed to be living our lives? I, I try to help people to understand some things can only be one way. I, I remember one day talking to a secular Muslim on a plane, and I and he said, I don't like the idea of Jesus being the only way. So I asked him this question. I said, are you married? He said, yes. I said, well, how many ways are there for you to reconcile to your wife for something that you said or did that hurt her deeply? I said, isn't there really only one way? Don't you either have to communicate in words or deeds that you are, and now what's that word that I'm looking for? And he said, sorry. I said, yes, that's it. That's the only way. Now, if that's the way it is in our human relationships, why wouldn't that be different in our relationship with our creator? God comes to us and says, you must say that you are sorry. And the only meaningful way we can do it is through Jesus Christ. So what we need to help people to understand is, that it's okay for some things to be only one way because, Nancy, if there is not one 
right answer, how can there be any hope? Let me illustrate this. Um, about 11 years ago, when I lived in Singapore, uh, I was invited to speak on a religious panel represent Christianity. And they had different people from different religious backgrounds representing their uh, religious perspective. And someone from the audience that night asked the most important question of the night. How does your religion help you to keep mankind from stop hating other human beings? I thought, wow, what a great question. I had an answer, but I wanted to see if anyone else had an answer from their religious perspective. And no one said a word. Finally, I said, you know, the Bible teaches in Romans 8, 11, that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to me as a Christian. So I can be a better father to my children. I can be a better husband to my wife, Charlene. And yes, so I can love those I naturally hate. You see, Christianity provides the only hope. Not only was Jesus the only one that could atone for our sins, he's the only one that that same resurrection power is available to us to transform us so that we can love people that we naturally hate. So Christianity has the only hope. And what I want to help people understand about Jesus is he was willing to die in our place mm -hmm. and take the punishment that we deserve. Yeah. Why would we not want to hear that good news? Mm -hmm. So I would try to help them understand that they don't probably have the correct perspective of who Jesus Christ is. Do you remember what um, uh, Jesus said? Uh, to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he asked her questions and said something like this to her. He said, if you drink of the water that I give you, you'll never be thirsty again. And I think this is all part of the new approach in witnessing to people. We need to ask questions and uh, ask thought-provoking questions and help people to thirst for that living water, Jesus Christ. And that's why our book, you know, talks about these three Ds, that we want to ask questions in a way that surface doubt, that minimize defensiveness, but most importantly, create a desire to either continue the conversation or to hear more about Jesus. Uh, I define success in evangelism in this way, that we share in such a way with a non-believer our, our life, our testimony, but we share in such a way that the next time they see us, rather than running the other direction, they want to continue the conversation. I remember one day talking to this atheist on a, a plane, and here's what he said to me. He said, I think our country is going in the wrong direction. I said, what do you mean by that? I, he said, well, I think we need to get back to our founding forefathers' values. I said, you mean like Christian values? He said, yes, to my surprise. And then my follow-up was this. Well, you know, I believe that there's one question we all need to answer that's so important before we pass this life. And that is this. If there is a creator, is there a creator? And if so, am I accountable to this creator in any way? Because if you can get someone to admit that there's an intelligent designer who created the universe, who we may be accountable in some way, then the second step, according to our book, Conversational Evangelism, is to get them to see that their problem is not just they don't measure up to God's standards, Matthew 5.48, James 2.10, they don't even measure up to their own standards. And if I can get them to see 
that those two statements are true, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to get them to see that they're a sinner and therefore maybe they'll be open to seeing the need for a savior. But that's the problem. That's a problem we're facing and witnessing today. Most people don't want to see themselves as sinners and therefore don't see the need for a savior unless, Nancy, mm-hmm. there's a crisis in their life. And then God uses that to bring them being more open and the Holy Spirit begins to work in people's hearts. Well, there's so many people that are pushing back, turning away from Jesus. They're turning away from God. And so the ones that are still sharing, and there's many of you out there that are still sharing, um, what steps you know can help them navigate through this? I, I developed this acronym called LISTEN. L-I-S-T-E-N. So the first thing we want to do is listen to what they believe, because if we don't listen to what they believe, we're not going to know what the Holy Spirit wants us to do in terms of building spiritual bridges to the gospel. Once we listen, then we learn their story. We want to learn where they are in their spiritual journey. But we want to ask three kinds of questions, questions about what's important to them, questions about purpose and meaning, and questions about their religious experience. And once we kind of you know, ask those three questions, we can get an idea of where are people in terms of their spiritual thoughts. And then once we listen, then we need to invest time in them. We need to get to know them. And then over a period of time, then we begin to listen what I would call search for the gaps in their beliefs, search for their sour notes in their beliefs. Let me give you an example of a sour note. I remember one day talking to a student on a college campus and I asked him, who is Jesus Christ? He said, Jesus Christ is the son of God. I said, do you believe he's your savior? He thought about it for a moment and said, yeah, I believe that. I said, do you think you'll be held accountable for how you live your life? He said, yeah, I probably will. I said, well, how do you measure? I said, well, I'm a pretty good person. So my question to him was this, why do you need Jesus if you can measure up? He paused for a moment and said, I guess I don't measure up. See, sometimes we need to help people see the gaps in their beliefs before they will consider what it is we're trying to say. So we listen, learn their story, invest time, search for the gaps. Then that's all listening and hearing. Then we want to throw light on their beliefs. How do we do that? Well, just ask clarifying questions. Start with that. Like if they use some kind of religious terms, oh, I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic, I would say, well, I'm just curious, what what books have you read that have kind of influenced you towards atheism? Or why do you think that all religions are basically the same? Can you explain that to me? So we ask these clarifying questions, right? Throw light on their belief, right? So L-I-S-T, then we expose the gaps in their beliefs by asking deeper thought-provoking questions. And then we navigate using the three Ds that I mentioned before, that we ask questions in a way that surface doubt, that minimize defensiveness, but most importantly, create a desire to continue the conversation. And I remember when I lived in Singapore, just getting into a taxi one day and keeping those three D's in mind. And I got a chance to share the gospel. Now the taxi driver didn't accept Christ, but before I got out of the taxi, 
he said something to me that really threw me. I, I wasn't expecting it. He said, thank you for sharing with me. Yeah. When you were in the camp with him, how did you even get that conversation started? I mean, okay, what did so you say? That, that When I lived in Singapore, Singaporeans are pluralists, all right? So I, I, I asked him about their pluralistic beliefs because a lot of Singaporeans believe that all religions are the same. I helped them to understand that all religions can't be the same. My father taught me this principle. If you embrace everything, you stand for what? You stand for nothing, right? If all views are true, then nothing is true. A point in every direction is the same as no point at all. See, if you're pointed in every direction, you're not pointed in any one specific direction. And then usually what I'll do in a conversation uh, with them is try to help them to see what makes Jesus unique. Um, uh, there are four things that many non-believers agree with Christians concerning Jesus. He died by crucifixion, placed in a tomb, was found empty three days later. A number of things happened to convince a number of people he rose from the dead. And then those who knew him the best, his disciples, were willing to die for that belief. Now, people may die for something they think is true, but unfortunately is false. But history is yet to record someone who's died for belief they know to be false. I use so, the four, and then I use the three. The three are the three things I mentioned earlier, that Jesus claimed to be God and then proved it by living a sinless and miraculous life, fulfilling prophecy, dying, and rising from the dead. So what I'm trying to help people to understand is that Jesus isn't just the same like any other religious leader. I usually use a little phrase like this, uh, Buddha claimed to point to the way, Muhammad claimed to be a prophet of God, but Jesus Christ is the only major religious leader who ever claimed to be God and then lived a sinless life, fulfilled prophecy, and died and rose from the dead. So you want to help people to understand that Christianity, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, is based on the resurrection. It's based on a historical event, not an ideology. You can take um, Buddha out of Buddhism and still have Buddhism, but you can't take Christ out of Christianity and still have Christianity. And specifically, you can't take the resurrection out of Christianity, still of Christianity. We need to help people to understand that our Christian faith is objective. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, that if Christ didn't rise from the dead, your faith is in vain. So our faith is only as valid as the object in which it's placed. And so when I'm witnessing to a non-believer, the other thing I, I try to mention to them is that there are two decisions you need to make about Jesus. First, you have to decide, is there evidence to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised Messiah, to atone for our sins? And once you've decided that, you're still not a Christian, because you have to believe in Christ. Do you want to invite Christ to come into your life and change you from the inside out? So apologetics is what I tell people. It doesn't deal with belief in. That's a matter of the Holy Spirit. And there's these two important decisions that every non-believer needs, needs to, to decide to become a Christian. Because James 2.19 says the de demons believe that God exists, but they certainly don't believe in him. And so the illustration I used to explain that is my wife. Uh, before I married my wife, Charlene, I believed that she would make a great wife based on the evidence. But the evidence of why I thought she would make a great wife never forced me to say I do. That was a decision of my will. 
And we know the scripture teaches in John 6, 65, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, that it's the Holy Spirit that prompts us and gives us the ability to respond to accept Christ. And so, you know, even when I give people evidence for the Christian faith, I'm always praying and saying, Lord, this is really a work that you have to do. I can only help them to see that it's true. You have to help them to take that step of faith. And once you and I, as Christians, witness and keep that perspective in mind, that we can't argue someone into the kingdom, but we can give them good evidence for our faith and then allow the Holy Spirit to begin to work in their hearts and pray for them and live our lives in such a way that people will be attracted to the message of the gospel. You know, we may be the only gospel that anybody ever reads. Mm -hmm. That is the truth. Well, uh, the Norm Geisler International Ministries has released a smartphone app designed to equip people with tools that combine evangelism and apologetics. So, David, how is this app different from other apps? You could use that app alone to teach people uh, conversational evangelism in your church. Uh, without involving our ministry in any way. And it's just got all the resources, the handouts, um, uh, PowerPoints, everything. Um, And it gives little questions about how do you deal with certain kinds of people who hold to religious, different religious perspectives. As far as I know, I've never seen a apologetic app like this yet. You can get Dr. Geisler's book, Conversational Evangelism, Connecting with People to Share Jesus, on the website at ngim.org. Or just go to Amazon, too. Or you can can get it in Amazon. Um, So is there anything you'd like to leave the audience with today? A a lot of what I know is because of what my father, Norman Geisler, uh, taught me. And we made a movie about uh, his life. My father is considered the grandfather of classical apologetics. And it was because of what he taught me that I've been able to actually even write uh, this book, Conversational Evangelism. Um, although he helped me with some of that as well. And so we made a movie about his life just as a resource to to help uh, churches, normgeislerthemovie.com. And with that movie package comes all these resources, like conversational evangelism that we've been talking about. Uh, We've also developed a model that combines apologetics, evangelism, and discipleship, because we need to be a certain kind of Christian too, and not just speak certain things. Uh, we need to live our lives in a certain kind of way. So I'd encourage uh, people to uh, check that out and use the movie in their churches so that uh, uh, they can better equip the people in their church. Yeah. Thank you for watching the call. We hope you learned more about Jesus through this video. You can have a relationship with Jesus. Just invite him into your life. Repent of your sins, ask for forgiveness, and make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Until next time, may the Lord be with you. For more information about this ministry, go to the call with nancysabato.com where we are leading you to Christ through stories and teaching.